Welcome to Ripstop on the Record, a podcast where fabric enthusiasts and DIY gurus discuss all things make your own gear, with the occasional poor attempt at comedy to keep it interesting. I'm Kyle Baker, the owner and founder of Ripstop by the Roll, and we're excited to have you listening. Welcome, everybody, to our 15th episode of Ripstop on the Record. I'm Avery. And it's Jameson. And we just have a few quick announcements before we get into today's episode. Um, We are giving away free fabric every Friday over on our social media channels. So go over to Facebook or Instagram to check that out to see how you can win. That's right. We're giving away free Dyneema composite fabric this week. Just one section, but it's 1.43 ounce DCF. So you probably want it. Yeah, super cool stuff. And then we also have um, a VIP Remnants Club going on. So you can go to the link in our bio or search for VIP Remnants and you'll basically sign up and get a notification as soon as they're released to our website because they go quick. That's right. So we have firsts, seconds, remnants, and others. The remnants are fabrics that we weren't able to sell in the first run or things that were left over on the roll of awkward amounts of yardage that you have a second chance at. So you're probably pretty intrigued by those. We can't tell you what those are yet because we have to put those all together. So if you sign up for that email, then you get the first dibs at some of these special fabrics at a discounted price. Yeah, I think that's all that we have for you this week. And let's get into our episode. Welcome, everybody. Today, we have a full squad here. We've got Carter and Isaac and Jameson, and we're answering your questions that you asked us on social media. Hi, everybody. What's up, guys? I saw it. That's right. Full squad. Uh it's a beautiful day and it's a beautiful hour. We're late in the day so we can have beers. Well, some of us. I'm preparing for, let's say, physical endeavors. So I'm trying to thin out for swimsuit season, you know? So I'm drinking. Today I've got Athletic Brewing Company Run Wild Non-Alcoholic IPA. Figured there's got to be people out there that don't drink and we want to support them too. So this one's for you and me. It's also a really good beer. I enjoy that. Sometimes I drink it at the office just because I like the taste of beer and I'll have it with lunch and it's, I get some weird looks, but I don't care. It's, it's like good. the Heineken commercial. It tastes just like an IPA, just no alcohol. Yeah, it's really good. What you got over there, Isaac? I got a uh, Voodoo Ranger Juicy Haze IPA. Always a classic. I think, I think the Juicy Haze, I think this is the second appearance on the episode or on the podcast. Is that right, Carter? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> like the amount of times that I've had to go over to the gas station or something like that, or like Walmart or something like 40 seconds before the podcast, I have no clue what we've had. If somebody wants to come up with a list of all the beers we've had, I think I, we might have that. I don't know. I was going to, I was going to say that you send us in, uh, Instagram messages or Facebook messages and which beer with which beer we should try. And with some, uh, swift kick in the pants, we might actually get our stuff together to go get real beer. So if you have a beer you want us to try, let us know. We'll get it and we'll try it on the on the podcast. I personally vow to, if you send in beer recommendations that are available in my area, I will get them and I will have them for the podcast. I promise. And if not, there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> Amazing. Anyway, to get to the good stuff and why you're actually here, 
we have four sections today. We have questions that you have all asked and you've given us. First one is tools of DIY. Second section is hacks and fails. Third is fabric application. And then fourth, as always, we have to get a little goofy and a little personal. We've all prepared one amazing question to ask everybody and you'll hear something special, I would imagine with this group. So Avery's our moderator. The rest of us will contribute. Carter will give us the knowledge. Isaac will admire Carter's knowledge and we'll have a great episode. I'm gonna get the can pop with Isaac. As cold as the Rockies. I think that's trademarked. The Rockies of West Asheville. Anyway, what's your question, Avery? <laughs> okay, so our first question comes to us from Codis Cognatus. Pretty sure that's their handle. And they are wondering, is that a dirty word? No, it was actually my nickname in high school. It's super weird that someone else. Would no. <laughs> no, it was actually. Um, I felt like I was getting pranked for a second. So the first question is seam taping for rain jacket, best product and process. Uh, cool. Yeah, I can handle this one. I think um, this question comes directly from ancient Greece, which is cool. Like shout out to Sparta. <laughs> All right, caught us. So. Seam taping a rain jacket is going to be dependent on the material that you're using, right? Um, so for a Dyneema rain jacket, and by Dyneema, I mean... Dyneema composite fabric. Yes. Um, you would use the uh, PSA seam tape that we sell. Uh, super easy to apply. Lay it down, use some pressure to seal it, and you're good to go. For other materials, it gets a little more tricky. Um, the seam tapes that are out there for PU-coated materials, siliconized materials, and the like are really not for uh, like normal consumer level people. Um, most of the time you're going to need like a hot taping machine or something like that to be able to seal it. It can be done with an iron and there are some tapes out there if you do some research, but it's not something that I generally recommend for a normal rain jacket that you would make. I would just seam seal it or honestly, it might not even matter, but you, you might just want to use some seams that are prone to uh, being hydrophobic in nature, and that's enough. Unless you're using Tyvek, and then you can also use Tyvek tape, which is similar to the D DCF tape. Yes, and you can also use the DCF tape, tape with Tyvek if you want, just so you'll be cooler. What do you mean by a hydrophobic seam in nature? I just mean you would use a, a seam that is less prone to water absorbency. You could also bind the seams, which might help with that. Um, I'm not like the most well-versed on all the 7 billion different types of seams that there are. Um, but I know that there are ones out there that for garments that you could use that would be less likely to have water come in. Isaac might be able to shed some light on that. So a flat filled seam would, just as an example, a flat filled seam would be more hydrophobic than just a regular straight seam because you have more folds in the fabric to help with uh, covering those holes that are created by the needles. Yes, precisely. That makes sense. Awesome. And if you want to know how to make a flat felt seam, we have a video of that. So you can go over to Instagram and Isaac can show you how to do that. Um, next question. This comes to us from adventure underscore 603, and they want to know how to start drafting patterns digitally and budget friendly. Um, and they wrote more money for fabric. 
Um, so there are actually a few different ways you can do this. Again, uh, as everyone probably knows by now, I am not the most garment savvy person. I haven't done a ton of drafting my own dresses and stuff like that using electronic programs. I've done quite a bit of CAD drawing and stuff like that uh, and simple 2D design. But honestly, if you do a quick Google search, I think there are, there's like, I know that there are dozens and dozens of free or almost free programs that you could use to start drafting, you know, sizing and patterns and stuff like that. I've always started with something like Google SketchUp and gone from there. Or what I've also been known to do on occasion is actually draw out my pattern and then take a picture of it and then import that in and make uh, like a DXF out of it. So that's, that's my experience. I'm not an expert on creating patterns. That is something that I think Isaac and I this year are going to do a lot more of. I'd like to broaden my spectrum of education when it comes to creating garments and, and garments for patterns. So, or patterns for garments. So I'm excited for that. Yeah. And I mean, short of using a CAD specific software, such as, uh, Lectra or, um, like PDX 19, uh, other like industry specific CAD softwares. Um, another good place to start is illustrator. If you have access to Adobe illustrator, um, that that's a really good place to start with using vectors and things like that to make sure you get straight crisp lines on your patterns. Awesome. I think that's all great information for people who are trying to also expand their horizons and make their own fully custom gear and patterns. So that's great to know. Our next question we actually have never answered before and I'm surprised we've never gotten it in. So this comes to us from Bach Bags. And they want to know the best method for marking fabric. Uh, do you want to round robin this just real quickly and say what we all sure. use? Uh, so I use two basic methods. Um, one of them, silver Sharpie. Uh, silver Sharpie or pen, either way. Most of the time, that's what I use if I'm going to mark something. I've also used chalk in the past or a tailor's pencil. But I typically just use a Sharpie. It seems to be fine. Yeah, I'm... I, my two would be the same, uh, either Taylor's chalk or a Sharpie. Um, obviously a thinner or thicker Sharpie is going to like, depending on what kind of seam or where you're marking the fabric, it, it might show up in your final product. Uh, so you just want to be careful with that when you're using a, like a permanent Sharpie. Um, so that's kind of the nice thing about using a, a ch Taylor's chalk is that you can just wipe it off and it, you won't see it. I have a black pen and a white pencil in my kit. And I found that those generally get me through everything. I personally like the thinner line of the pen over the Sharpie. Um, just, I mean, it, it obviously depends on how you use your Sharpie and how that will relate to how thick your line is. But in general, a pen's always gonna have a very, very, very thin line, which in most cases uh, make it fairly invisible in the final product. Awesome. And then, yeah, I also use a Sharpie or um, I like to cut my patterns out of cardboard and then I just put the cardboard on that and I don't mark anything because I don't know, it's just easier for me. Um, awesome. Yeah. And it's, it's also kind of nice to have a, like a rotary cutter mm -hmm. if you're doing something like that, you can just lay your, you know, your cardboard or whatever, like thicker piece of pattern you're using, just lay it on top of the fabric and then use your rotary cutter to cut around the edges. That's exactly what I do. I like to have the edge to kind of help guide me, um, just personal preference. And then I think we have one more part to the sewing tools and that goes to you. Uh, to that, I want to touch on that a little bit more. 
what are other pieces of your kit that you're very specific about? Like whether, like for instance, you mentioned rotary cutter, do you use a rotary cutter or do you prefer scissors? And then Carter, we talked about this a little while ago, you have like six thread snips at home and you have one that you like very specifically. Are there other pieces of kit that all of us particularly have to have or enjoy for one specific thing more than the other? Carter, you go first. Uh, yeah, so thread snips, I've, I think we might've mentioned this before. I went through a, a big obsession over those. Sorry, Ashley, if you're listening, I promise they were mostly under $15. Um, I like the Ginger thread snips. They're like black and they slip into a little cap and when you pull them out of the cap they like open up yeah those are uh, those are great until your job your dog chews them up and then they don't work so well is your dog okay those are sharp as heck are those like titanium too they're very light and very small so the ones you're thinking of i've transitioned away from those i thought they were my favorite and they're still really nice they're like japanese uh, anodized titanium thread snips that have like a, the, the spring action is built into the construction of them and they're really nice too, but I ultimately find myself going to the Ginger ones more. Um, I don't know why, but I, for whatever reason, I like them. That makes sense. Uh, as far as thread snips go, I also have the Ginger ones. Like I said, um, my dog chewed them up, so they don't work as well as they used to. But I think I'm going to start moving towards like a smaller scissor type uh, thread snip just because I also typically use my thread snips to uh, put small cuts in the fabric to mark like corners or center points. Um, and the Ginger thread snips don't cut as well as like just a normal pair of scissors. Um, so I might, I might start doing that soon. But as far as other um, pieces of or other tools that I use for sewing and, and making. I really love having a, an acrylic quilters ruler. Um, it's basically like a, a see-through ruler that's between four and six inches wide. And it just has, um, it has markings on it for all sorts of different measurements. And it's easy, it's great to be able to see through it. So you can make your, you can mark your seam allowance and just do all sorts of things with that. So I love having that. I just wanted to make sure to mention that one of my favorite things to use is uh, just sewing tweezers. And they are basically like long handled tweezers with a, like a bent tip. And it, I just find that it really helps me to thread the needle and, you know, thread the machine and just do like very fine detailed things that my giant sausage fingers uh, can't do as well. <laughs> That's a really good call, actually. The see-through ruler is huge because I've got a cutting mat and then I have a yardstick because it's long. Um, but I, now that I think about it, constantly run into a problem with like seam allowance to get that with a yardstick. You can't, mine's wood, you can't see through that to then know exactly where you are depending on how, what you're measuring. That's a good call. As for certain pieces of tools or tools that I use specifically, I have the Sailrite ergonomic thread snips. Uh, Carter gave them to me because they were not in his top choice. I love them. They have like a really, really close grip. That's very, very close to the, um, the, the razors there, whatever they're called. Um, and I, the, you can get very specific. I had a bad experience with small scissors early on in my sewing experience. And I ended up cutting corners off my fabrics instead of actually snipping the thread. So uh -huh. then I got real specific and just wanted stuff very, very close. I understand that's user error, but that's what gives me confidence. 
I pretty much split between rotary cutters and scissors equally, just depending on how big the project is. Um, but the other piece other than the thread stamps that I like more than anything <clears throat> is Carter introduced me to the BIC like long armed lighters. Um, and those are really, really nice. I just use normal lighters, but the ones, the long arm lighters have like a, almost a straw that comes out where the flame would come out and makes it like two inches longer. So it's a, a whole normal lighter. The body's all the same, but I just imagine the flame coming out like maybe an inch and a half above where your thumb is. I find you can be a little bit more specific, but Carter found those for me and I really, really like those. Yeah, they're, they're pretty sweet They're It's like if a, uh, like a normal long, like candle fire starter thing, uh, maybe birds and the bees with a uh with a regular bic lighter and that's what you get it's really nice i it also has a push button instead of the like flint and flick yeah as i call it no real it's like like what's one button that does everything yeah. for you yeah they're pretty sweet i found them they're actually hard to find because i think they're brand new product but i got them at target and i just bought like seven and that's what i recommend you do not a sponsor I'm saying this for my own sake and Avery's is we're about to have to write the show notes, but we will link all of these details in the show notes for you so that you can go get your favorite pair of thread snips and the best big lighters around. Okay. On to our second section. It's all about hacks and fails. So the first question comes to us from Vadu underscore UL. And I hope I said that right. <laughs> Their question is, once the quilt is sewn up and you flip it right side out, what's the cleanest way to close it up? Uh, yeah, so judging by what they're asking, I'm assuming that they're talking about making a synthetic quilt since a down quilt you wouldn't flip inside out. But for a synthetic quilt, I think what they mean is that once you sew all the way around the perimeter on the inside, when you flip it inside out, just like a pillow, there's a small gap that you need to finish. The easiest way that I found is just pull it tight from each side of where you where you started and stopped and it'll automatically fold itself in and then just sew it down with a matching thread. You could use like a, you could hand sew it and there are a few stitches that you can use when hand sewing that would basically render it invisible, but that's takes too much time. So. Yeah. I'll typically either use a uh, binding tape, which if you get a, a pre-folded binding tape, it makes that process a whole lot easier um, if you don't have a binder foot attachment for your machine, if you do, then the pre-folded binding tape just also is easier. Um, but anyways, I, I think that the binder tape just makes it a more professional finish, a cleaner look. Um, but short of doing that, you could also, just like Carter said, you can use the top stitch, close up that uh, little opening. And then I'll typically just go ahead and top stitch around the entire length of the the product, whatever it is, whether it's a pillow or a um, top quilt, under quilt, whatever, just go ahead and sew, sew around the whole length of the, of the product. And then that way you have a consistent look for all of your seams. Perfect. Those are all really helpful. Um, our next question is from Jay Brands and they would like to know, my X-Pack tends to roll on itself and can become difficult to sew it. Is there anything I can do to prevent that? So short answer is no. You can, for instance, I put it under something heavy for a while to flatten out some, but I believe it was episode eight. We talked to Dimension Polyant with Taylor North and he said that that is more or less a, an environmental, an environmental uh, 
cause, if you will, on the fabric that if it's in uh, humid or if it becomes cold or something like that, then the properties within the X-Pack will, will pretty much automatically curl on you. So <clears throat> not the answer you want, no. But like, for instance, for us in the shop, we keep them on a roll and uh, they don't, that doesn't happen to them on those rolls specifically. We I typically see that on smaller portions on like swatches, like a five inch by five inch circle or on smaller versions or smaller segments of expect that I'm working on. That'll happen too, but they don't normally happen in, in a large portion. Typically what I've seen that come from is that it can also happen on a roll is like uh, it, it, there's roll memory associated with all of those fabrics that are uh, composites that typically take folds very easily. Um, so as you get closer to the end of the roll where it's been rolled tighter and tighter, there's also roll memory that keeps it shaped. So like whenever you're doing laser cutting, you have to take that fold that's curling up and flip the fabric over so that it's folding down so that you don't run into it. So an issue you can run into is as you cut the X-Pack out, it, it springs up and it's horrible. Um, but it's once you work with it a little bit, it's not too bad. I mean, you could also flip it over and just like anything else, like rub it against a hard edge for a while and it would probably straighten it out a little bit. Uh, yeah, or you can take a shower with it and the steam will, uh, okay, no, I'm just kidding. It is really funny though. We have, so I've been doing a lot of the product demo videos. So I have um, probably a hundred swatches on the table in, our, in my office. And most of the VX07s that have been through test experiments or videos are now rolled up tightly. I mean, it's like a burrito, <laughs> the, the swatch. So if you get it in, the, if you put it into a precarious situation and you have a very small portion, that's, that's more or less inevitable, but obviously that's because I haven't been taking care of it and it, and it was put through something strange. Um, I was going to say, I wonder if you could take a hair dryer and just like turn it on the medium setting and just hit it with a little heat to get it to flatten out. Or if that's just not good practice. You would just have to be really careful that you're not using it like a heat gun because that will delaminate the glue that holds the pieces together. Um, okay, so maybe don't do what I said. <laughs> you could try it. I mean, you could also you could also put an iron on low and just iron it and it would probably be fine. I would just test that on a small piece first. I would much rather use an iron since that can be temperature variable versus a hair dryer. You can't really control like what's happening. Um, but no, I think that's actually a good point. You could use heat. And what I've done before and the reason I didn't recommend this is because no one has this is sometimes on our die sub flat presses, if I need something to be really flat, I'll just stick it on there and then close it and put it at whatever temperature I want and basically just iron it out. Um, but that's because I'm extremely privileged. And yeah. The next question we have is from Timothy underscore LKH. And they say- I think it's pronounced ich or lech. Lech. Um, <laughs> Their question is, I'm working on a project which I have to cut a big piece of fabric, 50 inches by 40 inches, and the biggest ruler I have is 6 inches by 24 inches, and I have to do it on the floor. Any tips for cutting huge pieces of fabric? Uh, yes, yeah, step one, go to Lowe's. Locate the spot where the yardsticks are. Get the biggest one you can find. Step two, go home, lay it down. If it's not big enough, mark out your line at the spot where it stops and then start measuring again from that point. I lived in a fairly small apartment. I was trying to make a tarp. So I do sort of understand what you're going through. I used a measuring tape um, that this was an approximation type of deal. So I didn't mind if I was centimeters off. 
if, if you need it to be very, very specific, then that may not work out. Um, but the measuring tape worked for me in a, in a large sequence. I also have used the, the yardstick. So friends, if you had 24 inches worth of space, then you can, uh, you can meet both sides. So if you mark, uh, on the 40 side on both sides and you can meet in the middle, you can get that pretty specific. But again, that was if you are willing to have some allowance of incorrect measurement. Yeah, another thing that you can do is just to supplement that smaller size ruler that you have. Uh, I, I like to use a tailor's tape, which is basically a flexible uh, measuring tape. And it, it just helps to be able to like mark your straight edges. Like you can start with your with your small, hard-sided ruler and mark some of your measurements and then use the tailor's tape to do the big measurements and then once you get to the other end use your hard-sided ruler again to make sure everything's square if that makes sense that's another good piece about tools though is that carter has like a right angle ruler and i've found that super helpful when we've been making stuff together so that's something i want to add to my own kit but how you measure i would definitely recommend having a varying source of, a, of things from smaller, very specific measurements for very small items that have to be clear. And then all the way up to yardsticks, you have that option. Also, this came up on social media. I believe it was yesterday from one of our users, Miss um, Math, and she is working on a big project, I think with like some sill membrane or something. And she's been cutting a lot of her fabric on the floor. So this is a floor tip, but most people have sit pads and you can use that for your knees. So use your little closed foam cell sit pad to save your knees or just go all in and get knee pads. <laughs> all right. Uh, the next question is coming to us from the girl with a tablet and they want to know any tips for working with really thin, slippery material. Um, EX example, not to get confused with the product name. <laughs> example, <laughs> 0.66 membrane 10. Yeah. So what you want to do is grab your tablet <laughs> and you know, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, yeah. So a few things. Number one, obviously, with, with any of those lighter fabrics that are really expensive, take your time get a little bit extra or buy a scrap or something so that you can make sure that you've got your uh, thread tension dialed in, use a new needle, use a smaller needle, smaller thread. Whenever you're sewing, try to find a throat plate, which is the part that's on your actual machine where the needle goes in. Try to find the smallest needle hole throat plate you can uh, and presser foot that you can because it'll help not force extra fabric uh, with the needle, um, which can like go down in there and cause problems. Uh, last thing is some people use like a sewing spider or tissue paper under the material to add some substance to it to help it go through better. I've personally never had to do that. Just I think as, as long as you're using the correct size needle and thread and you're being careful and you are, you've practiced with your material, you should be good. But just take your time and if you get pissed, it's going to be worse. So if you have to take a break, just take a break and come back to it the next day. I've been known to try to power through once I make a mistake and I just give up and it always makes me sad. So yeah, just if, if it starts being frustrating, take a little break, you'll be all right. What about the tip that comes up sometimes about backing your fabric with tissue paper or newspaper to help add a little grip and then ripping that off after you're done sewing? I think using tissue paper is totally fine. Lots of people 
do that when they're quilting and, and stuff like that. And you can just pick it out the back end. Just be careful um, because anything you sew through, you're going to have to rip out afterwards. So you don't want to pull too hard on the thread or, but it's fine. If you feel like you need to do that, um, go for it. If that gives you peace of mind or makes it easier for you, there's no super right way to do that. I personally have found that if you get things dialed in, uh, you should be fine. We, I've never tried that before, but it is, does sound really interesting. I know Carter and I have worked on some stuff like this and he doesn't, um, he's, so that hasn't particularly been a problem for him. I, I, I'm more inclined to try tape than that. I don't, maybe just because I don't have like newspaper access. <laughs> um, but I've never dried like the tissue or, or newspaper, or anything like that. The one thing to be concerned about there, at least I've heard most of my information is from Carter. So you get to hear a different voice say what he would say is just, gum <laughs> <laughs> is just gumming up your machine or do anything that could leave uh, residue on the needle or, or just get crap down into your, uh, into your machine. So that's where, I mean, tape can be a problem there, but also um, newspaper tissue, if it's, if it's shedding anything and you do want to be aware of that. Awesome. Well, maybe that's another video that we can do in the future is sewing slippery fabric with no, nothing. And then sewing it uh, with some kind of backing, like the newspaper or tissue paper, or maybe trying all three and we'll show the results. So <laughs> Jameson, get on that. <laughs> Yeah, I, we were filming a video a little bit earlier today, and Isaac totally had it on point when it comes to uh, getting everything set up correctly and having no issues. I feel like you're trying to roast me here. Oh, there's no roast. It's just you were sewing and like acting all serious on camera, and then we hear like click, 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 and we all look at each other like, uh. So I come over and sit down and we look at the back of the fabric and there is literally like an entire spool of thread on the backside of, of the material that we're so. Well, let, me, let me correct. The way that Carter said that was like, he calmly walked over. He's like, Hey man, like, let me help you out. What the direct quote was get out of the chair. I need to sit down now. <laughs> My back was sore. Okay. It wasn't directed at him. It was because I needed respite. Anyway. All right. <laughs> On that note, our last question for this section comes to us from, I'm not going to even try to pronounce it. We're just going to go with the spelling. S-U-B-A-K-I gear underscore I-D. Um, the question is, well, they're wanting to know tips and tricks for sewing a DCF or Dyneema backpack, especially when the stitches go wrong and leave marks, which I'm assuming they mean holes. Uh, so what they're saying is that they have done something, they've sewn something incorrectly, and now there are holes in the fabric that they can't heal, and how do they fix that? So the good news for you is that Dyneema is fully tapable and repairable, right? That's one of the best things about working with it. So what you need to do is either buy some repair tape or buy some double-sided adhesive tape and make a repair patch and put that on the inside where the holes are, and you're good to go. Other than that, just take your time and like, obviously you don't want to make those mistakes. So again, I think using something like Tyvek to making, to make a mock-up of your material or of your product first is a really good idea. If you're not quite sure on the design or you haven't worked with DCF, uh, Tyvek is acts as similarly to, uh, the DCF as you're going to find. So yeah, you'll be totally fine. Just get some tape, tape it up and it'll be good as new. For someone who is maybe not familiar with Tyvek, where can someone purchase it by the yard or in larger sheets? 
So there are a few different ways. Number one is we're definitely going to be selling that by the end of the year. I've wanted to carry it for like three years, but we now have the time to actually bring on some products and stuff like that. So uh, I'd like to bring on a few variants, including like the softer variant as well. Um, but you can also find it at like any construction site ever. If you just ask them for some of it, they'll totally give it to you. Uh, you can buy it by the yard at a few places online. Um, you can probably buy it on eBay for sure. Isaac, I don't know if you have any. Isaac does a lot of work with Tyvek, so I'm not sure if he has any recommendations. Yeah, so the, the easiest place that I found to get it is just at your normal big box construction store. So here in the United States, we have, uh, you know, Home Depot or Lowe's, and you're going to have, there's going to be branding on it. Um, but I, what I've done in the past is just put the branding on the inside of the product. And then, you know, the outside is going to be the, the normal white Tyvek that you're probably accustomed to. Um, but yeah, that when you buy it at a big box construction store, you can buy it in a couple different widths as well as uh, size of rolls. And it's really not that expensive. I think I paid like maybe $50 for like a, um, maybe a 200 yard roll by like 45 inches wide or something like that. So it's like, it's really affordable and it's good to just, just have to prototype on and to just practice with. I appreciate that you were looking out for our Finnish listeners by saying in America, it's like Lowe's or Home Depot. You know, people overseas will appreciate you, Isaac. Or just go to your local new neighborhood development and knock on the unbuilt house and ask them if they have any extras, according to Carter. That's what I've done. And oftentimes they just throw it out anyway. They throw like half a roll of that home wrap out in the dumpster and you can just go get it. Plenty of times I've said, hey, guys, do you have any extra? Like, obviously, don't go up to like some large commercial site with people with jackhammers and cranes swinging around your head. But if somebody's working on their deck or something and they just finished up the siding and they put some Tyvek in there, like, yay, let me hold a couple yards, bro. Like, that's all. I would just say don't do what maybe someone in this room possibly could have done when they were in high school and uh, go to a construction site late at night and find a uh, possibly almost full roll of Tyvek and cut it off of the house. That's probably not a good idea. That wasn't that wasn't me, Carter. Was that you? Uh, no, I think it was the other criminal in the room. <laughs> Jack, what do you, why would you do that? Speak up for yourself, Jack. Jack, I'm sorry. We're gonna have to let you go. This is this is your last day. So there's another piece of uh, education that I want to touch on there. When we were talking about uh, Dyneema, and I use that word there very specifically. Carter and I spent a lot of time talking about this this week because we've been working on a brand manual. But in a pretty brief way, Carter, can we? succinctly remind people the difference between Dyneema and fabrics woven with Dyneema. All right. So three things you need to know. Dyneema is a fiber. All right. Not a fabric. Not a fabric. So the next is DCF or Dyneema composite fabric is a very specific variant or like are very specific variants of product. They were originally created for the most part by uh, Cubic Tech um, and were called Cuban Fiber. And then that IP was purchased by Dyneema and they rebranded it as Dyneema Composite Fabric. 
And this is any variant that is a composite or slash laminate, right? So it has, whether it has a 50D polyester, like the 292 on the outside, whether it has nothing on the outside, they're all the same. They are non-woven. They are a textile, but they are non-woven. All right. So then you have, that's number two, okay? Finally, you have fabrics woven with Dyneema. These are regular woven fabrics, like any other nylon or polyester or anything like that that's woven on a loom, okay? So for instance, our Dyneema stretch mesh, that's a fabric, that's a stretch mesh woven with Dyneema. All that means is that there is some Dyneema fiber content in that piece. So you have Dyneema, which is a fiber. You have Dyneema composite fabrics, which are laminate composites, very specific variant. And then you have everything else. And that is, those are fabrics woven with Dyneema. That was beautiful, actually. Card and I have had probably hours of conversation trying to put this in a way to help the entire world know better about how to use this and including educating myself early on. Um, but that was very succinct. So for like the DCF we talk about as that pertains to our website, if you look at the 0 0.3, 0 0.5, 0 0.6, 0 0.8, 1, 0, uh, 1.0, 1.43, 292, or the 5.0 ounce Dynema's, all those, those are DCFs. Everything else is fabrics woven with Dyneema to help clarify at all. Maybe you're more confused, but just keep playing that back and you'll make Carter really happy. All right, so moving on to our third section, this is all about fabric application. Our first question is from Maurice Cantrell, and their question is, I'm confused about understanding the weight of fabrics. So does anyone want to divulge information on the weight of fabric specifically? I'll, I'll start and Carter will make my answer better. So the way that fabric, weights work for us and for most people, we try to keep it standard, is the number you see there is represented in ounces per square yard. So you'll read that as OZ-YD within with a two superscript, so it's, it's, it's higher. That is the, the if, you, if you cut out one yard, which will vary depending on the size of the fabric. So some of our fabrics are XL, which means they are, have a, a wider width. The yard um, lengthwise will be the same as if you fold it up and put it on a scale, that's what that number reads. In some places, some people that we service prefer that to be in grams per square meter. Uh, that shows up as uh, G-M2 superscript, right? The, that's the number higher. Um, those will be much higher because one ounce per square yard is equal to 33.91 grams per square meter. Yeah, so basically ounces per square yard is the standard for textile weight measurement and how we refer to uh, fabrics. It's just a it's just a standard that we use uh, to compare fabrics. Um, so all it means is that for a square yard of fabric, meaning 36 by 36, that's how many ounces it weighs. So that's just a, a piece of information that you can use to know a little bit more about the material and gain some insight into it. Um, as with anything, I would just recommend that you order samples for anything that you're interested in if weight is a concern and make sure that you're doing the right thing before you purchase what you want to purchase. Now, Maurice, this might confuse you more. So if you got all that and you want to move on, awesome. Maybe it's for everybody else. But 
there are finished weights of fabrics and coated weights of fabrics. So on something like the like Hyper D 300, what that woven would be, or the, the weave of the initial fabric would be a different weight than the finished. But what you see on like the 1.6 ounce Hyper D, for example, that is the weight of the fabric. The coating is gonna weigh a little bit more, but in general, that is, that those are standard amongst all fabrics. Awesome. And then can we take this one step further real quick and break it down by the thickness of fabric? So what classifies a thick fabric versus a medium weight fabric versus a thin fabric? Yeah. So as far as thin, medium, or thick fabrics, in general, there is no delineation of those in the textile world. It really depends on all the offerings that are out there. Uh, as far as in-house for us, um, uh, we basically just divide it into thirds. So our thinner fabrics would be anything from 0.56 or 0.51 DCF up to 1.6 Hyper D and then 1.6 Hyper D up to like 2.2 hex 70. And then anything above that is generally thick, thicker. Um, most of those fabrics can be sewn with pretty much just two different needles. I'm pretty sure we have some graphics on that. So that'd be a good spot to go check that out more in depth because I know it can be hard to visualize with someone just saying a bunch of words to you. Um, but yeah, in general, there's no like chart that people look at to say, oh, like this is a, a thin fabric or this is a thick fabric, but ounces per square yard is one way that you can get an idea of how thin the fabric is because generally something that weighs less has smaller denier threads in it because they, those are, denier is the measure of thread thickness. So, yeah. Yeah, I was also going to mention another important thing to keep in mind is that denier is uh, typically a measurement that is um, more associated with thread weight rather than finished fabric weight. So denier is basically a, a unit that measures the weight of the thread per unit length. So for example, denier is grams per nine kilometers. So with, for example, 1000 denier cordura, that would be a, it's woven with a thread that is 1000 grams per nine kilometers or 9,000 meters, if that makes sense. Precisely. Uh, so yeah, hopefully that helps. Sorry, I know that was a lot of information, but uh, I'm glad that you asked that question, Maurice, because I think that although it's pretty simple, uh, it is a pretty visual thing. So like I said, I definitely recommend going to check out some of our graphics and blog posts. That's where you can see that more easily. Um, I have one thing to bring up since it was brought up in the last podcast about pronunciation, but is it denier or denier? I think it's actually denier. <laughs> I typically say denier. I would assume that <laughs> um, I'm just going to go ahead and say that I've always heard denier and I've always said denier, but I also have some like Southern accent tendencies. So that might just be part of that. I don't know. Cause it all depends on the origin, right? Like, and I don't know if that's not, it's not an English word, right? Okay. If, it's, if it's a French word, then it's probably a lot more like, you know, denier. I actually think it might be denier now that I'm thinking about that. I said that as a joke, but it's definitely not denier. Cause that just, that sounds like it's not correct. That sounds like the Southern version, um, which I'm Southern. I can say that. All right. But Denier, that's not, that's not even how it's spelled. Like 
Look up the etymology right now. Hold on. Give me 10 seconds. <laughs> it's a French word. It's denier. Told you. It also is a coin. Well, let's not disparage our uh, French friends there, but uh, I, I chose not to speak in a false French accent because I do not speak that language, but I would pronounce it as denier. Sorry, I just had to gain composure from laughing so hard from Carter. Um, this next question is fairly long, so just hang in there with me, but it comes to us from Lazy Summer Daisy, and it says, I'm looking for a fabric that is tough but washable to make some big tote bags to haul heavy loads of plants. I lead rescues of Georgia native plants from property that is about to be developed, but I find big tote bags work best for me to haul out my finds after hiking all over these wooded all-terrain rescue sites but I have destroyed my weak fabric totes. Thought your fabric might work great. Which one would you suggest for my needs? So looking for a tough and washable fabric for tote bags to lug around, very important native plants. Well, first off, I uh, it sounds like your job is pretty awesome. I would love to walk around the woods and find plants that need to be transplanted somewhere else. So that's cool. Uh, secondly, uh, I mean, again, going back to Tyvek, I would recommend Tyvek. I know we don't carry it right now, um, but that's definitely something that is uh, in in the works. And I think Tyvek is just a, a great, inexpensive, but very durable fabric that, well, technically it's a non-woven, um, but it's, it's a great way to um, be able to make whatever size tote bag you need, and then also have something that is durable and with the more use it gets the more pliable and soft it will become um so in my opinion i think tyvek would probably be your best bet so yeah tyvek's cool the, the only thing that i dislike about tyvek is that since it's a non-woven it's more difficult to get a strong seam in because you're perforating the fabric whenever you put holes in it um, but i do like using tyvek and you can see plenty of you can see why it's so durable which is why I like male couriers use that non-woven to hold people's important mail and it gets thrown around on trucks and planes and stuff so definitely a testament to its durability personally i think that i would use something probably more thick than that like maybe like 420d robic or something like that i think that would be a pretty good choice it's not as heavy as thousand d cordura i don't think you need that um but maybe something in that range like 420d robic or 600d airwave might be pretty cool uh, but ultimately, any of those fabrics, I think, would be fine. I was just going to say, if you if you have the finances to do so, you can't go wrong with Dyneema. I mean, it's going to hold everything very, very well. It's super strong, and it's not going to add any weight to your transfer weight, assuming your you, your plants could weigh quite a bit, depending on how mature they are, um, and fully capable if in case you when you need to repair it. So, which Dyneema fabric would you recommend? First of all, fair play for calling me out. I should specify DCFs. And it depends. I'd probably have a series of bags. Probably the lightest I would go is one, four, three, and then most of them being in two, nine, two, five, zero to get that face. I think another good option would be the two ten D H D P E grid stop or the two ten grid stop with Dyneema. Those would both be uh, durable fabrics that would be lighter weight than even the the four twenty aerobic, um, and definitely. Cordero, 1000D Cordero. Awesome. Those are all great suggestions. 
maybe she'll make a tote bag and then share some cool plants inside of it for us after she hears this. <laughs> or he, sorry, I don't know who you are. Lazy Summer Daisy. Okay, the next question is from FBXLG. Not gonna even guess what means, but we did it. Um, what fabric would not be crinkly in real cold weather and specifying colder than zero degrees Fahrenheit? It would be used for a dog coat. So durability and some level of waterproofness would be great. So the coat doesn't soak through if they lay on the snow. The dog coat would also be lined with fleece. So I think if you're lining anything with fleece, you're probably eliminating most of that noise. But I definitely understand the, the want of not having something that's super crinkly. So I would say that a siliconized fabric is probably not going to be for you. Uh, the Robic series line has a UTS coating on it, which is a, a PU coating, but it's, it's more of a matte coating. So it has a little bit more uh, malleable characteristics. So that might be good. Uh, another really cool uh, fabric is the 3.3 Vintec available through Outdoor Inc., which is a waterproof breathable material like Gore-Tex. And it is super soft. It has a Trico lining, so it's not going to be crunchy or anything, and it will give uh, some vapor transfer to your dog so that it's not like, you know, getting all sweaty and stuff. So 3.3 is really cool. That Ventec is an awesome fabric, and it is, can confirm it's, it's, it's very quiet. Those are my recommendations. I highly recommend that you purchase samples, um, reach out to our team, and say what you need, and probably... I or maybe Isaac will talk to our team and make sure that they recommend the right stuff for you. And yeah, get some samples on hand, crinkle them beside your ear and make sure that you're okay with it. Um, don't just take my word for it because I am made all of that up that I just said. Is that what people I've seen make like leggings and stuff out of? That's probably the flow wicking poly spandex that, the, that they're making stuff out of. Yes. Um, okay. It's like a, it's like, yeah, it's like spandex. But yeah, that stuff's cool. You can make like some ATAX tactical leggings for men, which would be pretty sweet. Partners all into the leggings. That's a good look on you. You can always reach out to our help center with a specific application and say, hey, this is exactly what I want. This is exactly the situation that's going into. And they'll be able, to give you, be able to give you a more specific answer potentially, if that's what you're looking for. And the last question for this section and just the fabric questions in general. Um, this comes from Lexington Supply Company, and they are looking for material with the abrasion resistance of a 500D nylon, but much lighter. Any ideas? Yeah, so I, I think it depends on your definition of much lighter, um, because you're not, like, abrasion resistance is in many ways a parallel to denier right? Those heavier yarns do hold up better because they're thicker. That being said, I think that you could get decently close by using uh, 420D Robic or a high tenacity nylon at a bit of a lighter denier. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that they have the same abrasion resistance, but you could get close by just using something that is uh, a little more high tech or, or a stronger yarn. But I think it also depends on your, your application, right? You're going to have to have a trade-off between much lighter and abrasion resistance of 500D. For instance, the uh, 5.0 DCF might be a spot to start, but that only has 150D face. 
and depending on the 500D nylon that you're working with, those could be similar in weight. And Tyvek. Oh, no, sorry. Yeah, I think if you go with something like the 100D Venom, you're getting pretty comparable abrasion resistance because that's obviously a different fiber than just regular nylon. But it's not going to, I, I hesitate to like say that they're exactly the same, right? We would, you would have to do side-by-side -side testing. And of course, abrasion resistance is also a subjective term. There are tons of different testing standards for abrasion. Um, and those, all of those are still done in a lab and might not be the same as you rubbing it against a rock 40 times. So I know that I kind of talked around the answer to your question, but that's just because I, I don't want you to buy something and you think that it's going to be exactly the same as 500D. Yeah, that's kind of the, <clears throat> the ultimate question when it comes to like, you know, Alpine application products or mountaineering is, you know, you want that super high abrasion resistance, but at the lowest weight possible. And uh, something that that's kind of interesting to me to look into is kind of the, the new developments with liquid crystal polymers. And Tyvek. <laughs> yeah. And Tyvek is just like, it's so lightweight and so abrasion resistant. <laughs> Uh, but no, like looking into the liquid crystal polymers that are um, that are being developed for, I know Arcteryx has a, a new line that uses that. Um, it's it, that's a really good question that a lot of people have asked, and I I think that's just something that will be continued to be to be developed throughout time. Um, and as we get into more high tech fabrics and more high tech fibers, uh, that's something that that will be addressed and improved on. Perfect. That brings us to our final section, which is just going to be a rapid fire round of silly questions. And we will ask the others and everyone can answer. All right. Who would you rather have to help you survive in a zombie apocalypse? George Washington or Kyle? What are uh, what are each of their attributes? Like, do either of them have special powers? Uh, I'll let you figure that out. So to be clear, this stems from previous episodes, if you don't know that. So in every time that I've been asked to ask a funny question, I've asked the zombie apocalypse question. I asked it to Kyle twice. In both times, he said, well, the first time he said George Washington, Mr. T, and a clone of himself. The second time, help you survive. The second time, he said, I think he doubled down on Mr. T and himself. Yes. And then I can't remember what, oh, Matt Damon was the other one. So those are who he picked. So the reason I asked that question is I'm turning that back on you guys. And I want to know between his two picks, George Washington or himself, which one would you rather have by your side to help you fight zombies? This is an interesting question, um, but I would say George Washington simply because people during those times had much harder lives. They had to do things that were much harder than we do. Like they chopped wood like all day long and they were much hardier people than we are nowadays. So yeah, George Washington. Those wooden teeth you can't get cavities also have to go George Washington just because he rode a horse. 
I would love in one of our videos, like maybe if we reach a certain revenue goal this year, let's try to get Kyle on a horse. I think that'd be sick. Just have him like barebacking it through Durham, like holding the rips up by the old banner. Um, we can have a uh, Kyle crossing the Eno. Yes. <laughs> let's see. Okay, so if you could be born into any region and or time period, what would it be? So I think you missed the point about being silly, but it's still a good question nonetheless. <laughs> I'm going to say like early mountain climbing, like early 1900s in France when they were first exploring like the high Alpine in a meaningful, well, uh, when, let me rephrase, when white explorers were first exploring the high Alpine in like a meaningful way with semi-proper gear. I think my answer is pretty simple exactly when I was born and pretty much exactly where I was born, I'm totally good with it. I don't want to mess with butterfly effects. I don't want to deal with, like if I am born somewhere else and like 10 billion infants die, I'm not interested in that. I'm happy to be born in Hendersonville, North Carolina in 1995. Uh, maybe I would choose five years earlier um, because I had an older sister. So I, would, I did experience a lot of the nostalgic stuff of the 90s. And we didn't have that much money. So also like I had like a Super Nintendo instead of a PlayStation. So I did the, what most people that are a little bit older than me did. Um, but yeah, I'm good with where I'm at, dude. Like I'm not, I'm sure there's other cool stuff out there, but you know, then I wouldn't get to meet my wife and especially I wouldn't get to meet my wife. And that's just the most important thing. Sorry about all those uh, purchases, baby. I love you. <laughs> Um, I think I don't know like what time period I'd want to be in, but I definitely want to be the region of New Zealand, mostly because oh, I would love a New Zealand accent. And it's just so epic to be like locked on a little island. Especially an island that beautiful. Yeah, but like growing up with the Maori people and being like fully tatted and like eating fruits and like spearfishing, and that'd be pretty dope. And also Gandalf lives there. True. I've never seen um, The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings or any of that. So I'm going to go along and just say yes. You should watch that this weekend. I don't think you're missing out. You're right. Don't ever say that again, dude. What? You have to answer your own question, Isaac. Oh, um. all right. So I think mine would be like 17th century Scotland, like with, you know, like... Uh, scottish clans and like during the the highlander time period you know like wearing kilts in addition to the uh you know 16th century like highlander time period i think it would be awesome to be a cowboy too i've always been infatuated with like the you know henry repeating arms and like riding horses into the sunset all that kind of stuff yeah same here i grew up my grandfather and my dad both love watching westerns so i grew up watching all the different Westerns on TV and recorded ones. And they're reading like the Louis L'Amour books and all that stuff. And yeah, my dad used to tell me stories at the bedside about uh, a, like some, he made up like an entire Western and that he would tell me a different story, like one or two nights a week and like continue on from the previous story. He told me like a radio show. And that was really awesome. He had like a whole intro and everything. Um, yeah, I like that one. I would be a cowboy, but also I think their life expectancy is like 29. So you would you would be, you know, forever young. Let's say that. 
Okay, my silly question is uh, kind of a throwback on the episode we had with Julianne, and I love would you rather question. So it's something I've been asking everyone, but I'm taking this question and just repurposing it. So would you rather have sewing needles for fingers or thread for hair? And then you could just like thread your machine and just be like unlimited, would just like come out of your scalp, never ending. Red for hair, not even close. I would do that tomorrow. I, I could, you could pick out different like colors all the time, like a wig. Like I would, it's, I could do that. Needles for fingers pretty much renders you absolutely useless as a person. Um, you could probably give great back scratches carefully. You could do acupuncture on the low. <laughs> yes. But on the flip side, if you have thread for hair, cleaning out the shower drain would be really annoying I have to get the that drain thing have you seen it like we have them at our house they're like the little things that go in the drain to catch all the hairs they're like silicone little thingies i don't know what they're called drain sprain whatever oh and your uh thread for hair for sure i guess i would also do thread for hair even though it would cause even more of a shower drain problem at my household just don't shower dude that's what i've been doing it's great um, I have a lot of hair, so I think I'm going to have to go with uh, needle fingers and then start using healing powers on the corner. <laughs> yeah, like that would be worth it. You could just, you could be at the mall, a mall kiosk. People would be like calling you Edward needle fingers at all, every turn. You could be in a movie. Like, probably pick good. locks and stuff, you know, just like. You're basically like the budget Wolverine at that point, too, which would be pretty <laughs> sick. You could be in like a B version movie of that. It would make eating chips hard, but I could eat French fries really well. Yeah, dude. And if you wanted to, you could change out one of the needles for one of those meat thermometers and you could test your steaks so well. Like, you know, when you microwave a hot dog and you have to cut little holes in it so it doesn't explode, when you picked it up, you would automatically do that. It would be awesome. <laughs> Drinking out of styrofoam cups would suck ass though. Like every time you went to grab a cup from like Sonic or something, it would just all like watering can directly out of the cup on your, whatever you had. Sorry, this really is, I don't know why this excites me so much, but it is very interesting to think about. Great to hear or see what all four listeners that have gotten to this point think of this segment. <laughs> yeah, if you stuck around, Thank you for listening to the entirety of the podcast. We owe you. And don't forget to leave a really kind review for us. That's right. If you like our podcast, then you probably like our other content. So check us out on YouTube, on Instagram, and on Facebook for the latest videos, blogs, free stuff, and graphics. And as always, make good gear, drink good beer. Catch you later. We created Ripstop by the Roll to fuel the DIY revolution and serve the maker community that supports it. Through world-class service, innovative products, and cutting-edge capabilities, it is our promise to always put the success and satisfaction of our fellow makers, aka our customers, above all else. We're here for you. If you need anything, don't hesitate to ask. Now let us make.